Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about how blind and low vision gamers are taking the video out of video games with Cornell University professor Andrew Campana. Then you'll learn about a recently discovered fossil that shatters the record for the oldest DNA we've ever found. Let's shatter the record for satisfying some curiosity. (laughs) Video games are huge right now. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a gamer. In 2020, people spent nearly $12 billion on gaming in the U.S. alone. But not everyone gets to join in on the fun. Blind and low vision players have to use workarounds to play video games. I mean, video is in the name. But there's a revolution happening. And today's guest is going to tell us all about it. Andrew Campana is an assistant professor of modern and contemporary Japanese literature in the Department of Asian Studies at Cornell University. And he's been researching how communities of blind and low vision players stay in the game. Here's what he told us when I asked him how blind people are playing video games. As long as games have existed, really, there have been a lot of initiatives to make them more accessible to different types of people. Uh, but video games, you know, the bias is in the title, that the video right there, the, the assumption that, you know, you need to see in order to play these things. But it turns out that's not totally true. I mean, uh, if you go back to the 70s, there was even electronic games like Simon or Touch Me by Atari, which is like you would play a bunch of sounds and then you'd press buttons that follow the pattern. And if you remember the Bop It from the 90s, that toy, like, that's another totally accessible toy to blind people. But video games can are, are another story. Uh, there are some games that happen to be pretty accessible to blind players, like uh, fighting games like Mortal Kombat. There's a lot of sound feedback, so if you really practice, you can get used to it. But games like, you know, Mario, Final Fantasy, Zelda, all of these games are pretty inaccessible if you can't see. So some games happen to be inaccessible. Some games happen to be accessible, but what I'm really interested in in my research is uh, games made usually by blind game developers for other blind players that don't use graphics at all, that are totally sound-based. And uh, my, my specialty is Japanese pop culture and literature, and a lot of these games come from Japan, where there's a really big scene of these blind game developers, and uh, they've made some pretty amazing things. Okay, so to be clear, we're more talking about video games that are being... Well, audio. I get. What do you call them? What you don't call them video games, then? So, so these are called audio games usually. Uh, so, uh, just as a sort of, you know, it, it describes what they are, but it also forces us to rethink that video and video games right from the title. And you're saying typically these audio games are being developed from scratch. They're their own thing. They're not adaptations of existing video games that are being like kind of translated into, into a format that would be easy for a blind or low vision player to, to play. Right. I mean, uh, there are examples of that, too, definitely. Uh, A lot of blind players want to play the same games as everyone else, and so they modify games to, say, have 3D sound where they didn't have them before, so you could place Link and Zelda better or something like that. So that's really important. Uh, But also, yeah, there's this whole other scene of games made from scratch that are intended to be equally accessible for blind and sighted players alike. Yeah, I have to imagine that there must be something that you can do with an audio game that you can't do with a video game. Could you get into that? What are the things that audio games have going for them that we can't do with video games? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about like VR and virtual reality in the last few years, but it's still at a pretty early stage. But if you're playing one of these audio games where your eyes are closed and there's 3D sound, it feels more like virtual reality than any game I've ever played. It's like you're really immersed into a sound world. It's this really intimate experience. You don't, you're not distracted by sort of clunky graphics on screen or weird interaction. You're just totally within the sound world. It's like you stepped into your favorite audiobook or radio play or something like that. So I think just on that level, it's a, it's a pretty unique experience. But also, you know, video games tend to, traditional ones, tend to test your hand-eye coordination or reading ability or things like that. But this instead, you're forced to interpret the most minute sounds you could hear in the environment or the little inflection of speech of characters to see if they're really, you know, who you think they are. There's a lot of things you pay attention to that you totally wouldn't otherwise. I mean, how many people play a video game and just mute the screen so it doesn't bother anyone else in, in the apartment or whatever? But of course, you can't do that with an audio game. Well, yeah, as podcasters, we, I think both Cody and I know very well how much cooler it can be when you're just using audio. That's really great. Right. (laughs) If you're interested in trying one of these games, one that Andrew highly recommended was A Blind Legend, which is available on iOS and Android. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Again, that was Andrew Campana, an assistant professor of modern and contemporary Japanese literature in the Department of Asian Studies at Cornell University. He'll be back tomorrow to tell us the fascinating ways that blind gamers have a leg up on sighted gamers. We've got big news in the ancient genome sequencing department. For the first time ever, researchers have sequenced million-year-old DNA. Not only that, but the animal the DNA came from? It's a brand new kind of mammoth. What a mammoth breakthrough. That's right, Cody. So why is this such a big deal? What, other than the fact that it's million-year-old DNA of a new species? Well, for a couple of reasons. First, sequencing old DNA is tough. When an animal dies, the chromosomes in all its cells, you know, where the DNA is, those start breaking apart. The pieces get smaller and smaller over time. That makes it harder and harder for researchers to find and interpret the information encoded in all those tiny fragments of DNA. Scientists have been getting a lot better at piecing together these DNA puzzles, though. And solving one that's 1.6 million years old is a huge accomplishment. The previous record was between 560,000 and 780,000 years old, so it's quite a jump. But this is way more than a technical achievement. It also taught scientists a lot about the evolutionary history of mammoths. The oldest teeth the team examined were 1.65 million years old and 1.3 million years old, respectively. The shapes of those teeth told researchers that they had belonged to steppe mammoths, which are a kind of precursor to woolly mammoths that hailed from Europe. While the younger tooth did appear to be from a woolly mammoth ancestor, the older tooth was a surprise. It appears to have belonged to a species researchers had not previously encountered— The tooth was found in Russia, but its DNA accounts for about half of the genome of a North American species, the Colombian mammoth. That's not just a fun fact. It marks a tiny step forward for evolutionary theory. See, it looks like this newly identified species of mammoth interbred with the other ancestors to the Colombian mammoth about 420,000 years ago. 
That makes this the first time that ancient DNA has been used to support an idea that's gaining traction among evolutionary biologists. It's called hybrid speciation, and it means that completely new species can emerge when different species come together, breed, and mix their genetic lineages to form something new. New breakthroughs in genetic technology might make it possible for researchers to sequence samples that are even older than these mammoth teeth. But there is a limit. Samples this old have to be preserved in permafrost, and the Earth's most ancient permafrost is about 2.6 million years old. But there's definitely still plenty of good stuff frozen away. Let's recap the main things we learned today. Well, we learned that there's a whole library of audio games that blind and low vision people can play, just like how sighted people play video games. And some of them do things that video games don't do, like force the player to pay close attention to 3D sounds. And that can sometimes lead into deeper immersion than even virtual reality. I know we probably mentioned this, but anyone who's listened to a podcast knows how immersive audio-only content can really be. Audio is such an underappreciated art form. And the most immersed and terrified I've ever been while playing a video game was when I was playing The Last of Us, classic game, and I had surround sound and the audio of like the zombies and undead creatures around me was so terrifying. I would only play the game when my girlfriend at the time was over at my apartment because I couldn't handle it. It was just, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a horror person. So anyone that's a horror person listening is probably just like, come on. But for me, yeah, forget about it. Man, I'm with you. I'm with you. Not a horror person. Not a horror person. Yeah. Can't handle it. Right. We also learned that researchers have sequenced DNA that's 1.6 million years old from a previously undiscovered mammoth. The difference between this DNA and other mammoth DNA also supports the idea of hybrid speciation, which basically means that a brand new species can emerge when different species breed and mix their genes into something new. It's like a cake. Mixing genes is like baking a cake. <laughs> sure. But it's also, this is in contrast to the kinds of speciation that come about when one species is cut off from the rest of its group and it starts evolving to that new environment. That's usually the way a new species forms. But this way is like, no, uh, when, when two different species love each other very much, then you get a new species. Wow. <laughs> Today's last story was written by Grants Curran. Script and audio editing by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily. Curiosity Daily is produced and edited by Cody Goff. Bake a cake! And then join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. 